0: Dave talked about his marriage with Kristen and our marriage. How many are looking forward to that day when we stand before our spouse, the the bridegroom in heaven, amen? Isn't that going to be awesome? And we're going to look at him face to face and um, spend eternity with him, entering in on that eternity shore. Let's pray this morning before we get into the Word. Father, we just thank you, Lord, um, that we can come together, that we can enjoy each other's company. But more than that, Lord, we're here this morning to hear your word, to be challenged by it. And Lord, we give permission to the Holy Spirit to come and to make it real in our hearts so that we might apply it. Lord, you've called us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So help us to do what your word says, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I just wanna start out by saying that I count it a privilege to be up here this morning and sharing this word with you. i spent many hours in prayer and research Just wanting to make sure that this is delivered in a way that you'll capture it. But my prayer this week is more than anything that I say, that you would just open your hearts to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today, amen? And so, even though we're talking about marriage, we're a family, amen? And we're a family, and sometimes as a family, you do things that doesn't necessarily matter as much to you, you know, like... Uh, my mom and dad right now are taking care of my nephew's um, daughter, their great-granddaughter, you know, and it doesn't help them to change her diaper, you know, when, they're, when mom and dad are gone, um, but they do it because it's all a part of the family. And so this has application this morning to all of us, not just married folks. And so let's get into the Word. If you can um, open in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5, and the ushers are coming in with the notes There's notes in your welcome packet that you should have received this morning. If not, just raise your hand, and they'll get you one of those. I encourage you to follow along. Um, They have pens, too, and they can get you a pen so that you can take notes this morning. Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to be looking at that entire chapter this morning. So pray for me that I speak in an orderly way to get us out in less than 30 to 40 minutes. All right? Before you got married, she was your babe, and he was your sexy pants. (laughs) That's in Proverbs 5. Before you got married, she was your babe, and he was your sexy pants. But after years of married life, those fancy pet names that you had for each other are all gone. Now you're just her bread and butter. And she's just your roommate. I know this is how marriage feels to many people today because Lisa and I have been married almost 25 years. And it's funny because people that have been married around that same amount of time, we continually bump into them and hear how they're beginning to separate or moving on and looking for another spouse. I remember Lisa and I were at Pick and Save. We were walking down the aisles and one of my old co-workers from another job ran into her. It's been a long time. And I was like, hey, Corey, good to see you. And she says, good to see you too. And so we got talking and she said, you know that Zach and I are split up, right? And I was like, no. And the incredible emotion came over us. I almost started, you know, felt like tears were going to begin to stream down my face, and I was like, what happened? And she's like, oh, no, you don't have to get emotional. It's okay. I still respect him. He's still our kids' dad. I just found somebody that's better suited for me in this season of my life. And he's moved on too. And I remember as we left the store that day, just looking at each other, Lisa and I, and saying, that's never going to happen in our relationship. I can't imagine the pain that their three kids were going through, what that was going to mean to the dynamic of the family. But we've That's not been the only story we've heard as our kids come home from school and talk about their friends. It's like an ongoing theme. Couples breaking up after 25, 30 years together. So this is what I'm talking about. Going from being your babe and your sexy pants to your bread and butter and just your roommate. And sometimes couples stay together without being together And it's usually for the sake of the children. Our son, Josh, right now is in college and one of his best friends um, said, yeah, my mom and dad are just staying together until my younger sister graduates this year and then they're splitting up. So what I'm talking about this morning is truth. And you say, what happened? You know, I've asked Josh that, I've asked my kids that, what happened? And they would say, Life happened. That's what happened. See, when it comes to dating and marriage, many couples, they start out by being very romantic and working at their relationship to meet each other's needs. Then all of a sudden, the bills come. The children come. Sex goes, and the temptation grows as the two of them begin to grow apart. PG mentioned last Sunday that the three Factors, a lot of times, that lead to divorce are money, sex, and communication followed by abuse, both physical and verbal, and infidelity, etc. See marriage is like a garden. You plant and you sow fruit and vegetable seeds to provide for your family. But if you don't tend the garden, if you don't care for it, if you don't water it, if you don't fertilize it, if you don't make sure that the garden has proper exposure to sunlight, then what happens? You reap more weeds than you do fruit and vegetables. And the weeds prevent the fruit and vegetables of the garden from producing. And then the next thing you know what happens then, you're upset that your garden isn't growing the way you thought, so you give up caring for it. Instead, you look to something or somebody else to provide a beautiful garden for you. You get excited because over here, there's an easier garden that you forget your own. And in time, you move out and you begin to stay in another garden. And in our text this morning, we have a warning against unfaithfulness. The challenge before us is how to stay faithful in our marriage and guard against outside intruders. The first secret to staying faithful in our marriage is found in verses 1 and 2. Listen to godly advice. Solomon here is speaking, and he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Verse 1 starts out with a familiar refrain that you'll see um, Solomon repeat throughout the entire book of Proverbs. It says, listen to me and be wise. In addition to being a familiar reframe, verses 1 and 2 are also a preview of the whole chapter. Solomon here is advising his son, Rehoboam, He's also, in a sense, advising you and I on what to do and why. What to do? He's saying, be attentive. Come on, son. Pay attention. You know, put down your smartphone. Take out your AirPods. Turn your head. I want your eyes looking at my eyes. Because what I'm going to say to you right now is important, and I need your attention. Attention. What's he want them to do? He wants them to keep discretion. What's that mean? He wants them to act wisely, to make good choices. That your lips may guard knowledge. What he's saying here is, speak wisely, not foolishly or sinfully. Rehoboam is thought to be, you know, I tried to nail it down by looking at the time frame and scriptures and reading what commentators had to say about his age. And all of them seemed to agree upon that he's either in his mid-teens or mid-twenties at the time. He's either marriage or on the verge of marriage, so Solomon is basically having the birds and the bees talk with his son. Either way, he's old enough to experience sexual temptation. So his dad sits down and says, here's the warnings, because Sexual temptation out there exists, and I don't want you falling into its trap. Therefore, if you're old enough to experience sexual temptation, this message has applications for all of us here this morning. Many times, people ask for advice before they get into marriage. Others, they are so infatuated and so in love that they just blindly run into it without seeking any advice or counsel. They just allow their emotions to kind of lead the way. However, the Bible places great emphasis on getting wise counsel prior to and throughout our marriages. I remember one of my professors in Bible college said, hey, he, he, he had just mentioned one day in one of his lectures that him and his wife had went and saw a counselor and we were like, what's wrong? Are you, I are, you mean, are you, are, does the president of the school know that I mean are you are you sure you're able to lecture us you went and saw a counselor a therapist and he's like no there's nothing going on in our in our relationship he said you know just like we take our car to get tune-ups every once in a while um, I think it's important to to get a tune-up every once in a while here in our marriage Diane are doing great but we want to do even greater amen so the Bible says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls. And you could also put marriage in there where there is no guidance, a marriage falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Notice that this doesn't say that we should have an abundance of friends or connections. It says counselors. See, many couples set themselves up for failure simply because they haven't established quality counselor-type relationships. Now, I just told you about Pete and Diane, my professors, but how they went and saw a professional therapist, but that's not what I'm referring to this morning when I'm talking about counselors. It doesn't have to be professional. I'm talking about people that you invite to be in your life, you have in your circle of influence that are godly, that are filled with wisdom, whom you've given authority to and permission to speak into your life and into your marriage. That's the type of relationships that I'm talking about this morning. So the encouragement here is that we have to be humble. To say we don't know it all. That there are others that could speak into our lives. Amen? I see this happening um, at the cafe that we own. There are times on Saturday afternoons um, where I know there's a local church in our area who has a marriage mentor relationships. And there's couples that are going through premarital counseling that are teamed up with um, members of the congregation who have been married a while that have good, solid marriages, and they'll get together. And it's always exciting for me to see when that is taking place, to see the love that they have for this new couple that's on the verge of marriage, and to see the love that this couple who's been married for 25, 30, 40 years still has for one another. We need those types of relationships. See, your marriage, like I said, is like a car. When it's running well, when the front end is in alignment, there's air in the tires, it'll get you where you want to go reliably and comfortably, right? However, just like a car, your marriage needs regular Oil changes, right, Steve? (laughs) That's an inside joke. You can ask Steve about it later. Just don't ask me about it. It needs regular maintenance. It needs filters to keep it running right. Just like car manufacturers and manuals say um, that there's different intervals, like 30,000 miles for certain things and 60,000 miles for certain things, 90,000 miles for certain things, we need to do the same thing have those tune-ups in our marriage so that we are saving ourselves from costly repairs like a brand new engine or transmission so how do you keep your marriage tuned up i want you to talk later think about that write some things down i've got a list here to get you started how do we keep our marriage tuned up here's some advice to keep you to get you started first daily family Dinner, if possible. Prayer and Bible reading together with your spouse. Daily family dinner, prayer and Bible reading. Second, weekly date night in. I understand for a lot of new parents, younger in, the, in a marriage relationship, it's hard to be able to afford to have a sitter every time you want to go on a date night. So that's why I said date night in. But it's so important that you have weekly church attendance. There's a lot of ways, creative ways, too, that you can get by without hiring a sister. sister. Maybe you need a sister to come over and watch your kids. (laughs) But finding another couple, you know, and swapping, trading off the duties of watching each other's kids is a great way to get that done. Quarterly. I mean, a monthly date night out, number three. Monthly date night out. Number four, quarterly getaway of at least one overnight just for the two of you. And this one is important, and Lisa and I have tried to do it as much as we can over the years. An annual getaway of a marriage conference or retreat. Every May, Family Life Ministries has a Weekend to Remember that's held over here. Um, at one of the hotels it's a great weekend to remember there's marriage retreats in our region all you have to do is a google search and you'll find come talk to me I know of a lot of different ones too just a great way to sit down and just have focused attention where you're investing in your marriage the second secret to staying faithful in your marriage is watch out for the potential of a fatal attraction this is where being attentive to wisdom and keeping discretion is so important. One of the Ten Commandments is to not commit adultery, and another is to not desire your neighbor's wife. Exodus chapter 20 verse 14 says, "You shall not commit adultery." Exodus 20: 2017 says, "You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything." That is your neighbor's. The same commandment found in Deuteronomy, chapter five, verse twenty-one, puts the neighbor's wife before the property by saying, "And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not covet, desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his house, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's." The idea here is, desiring a person's spouse is just as dangerous is having a sexual affair. As the Bible shows, one could easily lead to another. 32 years ago, in the mid-80s, I was 14 years of age, and there was a popular movie that hit the theaters entitled Fatal Attraction. How many remember that movie? I don't know why. My parents took me to see it. <laughs> but it stayed with me for a lot of my life. The plot of the movie was that of a woman who was obsessed with this married New York attorney who was on business away from his wife. And the film illustrated the process of a fatal attraction and how it got started and the destruction and the consequences that resulted. The New York attorney wanted it to be a a one-time fling and done, and she continued to be obsessed with him. And I'll stop right there. Fatal attraction, as described, occurs when specific behavior or features that drew you to another person is the same behavior or feature that causes the two of you to break up. Solomon here with Rehoboam continues on in verses three through six, talking about and showing his son the process of a fatal attraction. It says, for the lips of a forbidden woman. I just want to stop there for a minute. Forbidden woman. I was telling Dan before service, I've gotten in the habit of reading a proverb a day. So today is the first, I would read Proverbs chapter one and subsequent throughout the month reading through the book of Proverbs monthly in order to grow in wisdom. And I usually, in the past, we get to Proverbs chapter five and say, you know, sexual sin and temptations usually. Not my thing, I've read this before and it's repeated in in chapter six and seven about staying away from the foreign woman's house and just kind of like read it through quickly. Until one day I got to that part for the lips of a forbidden woman so I did some study and said, who is this foreign woman? And I looked it up in the Hebrew, and the Hebrew word is zur. And it means stranger, foreigner, alien. And God began to show me, just as Dave mentioned this morning, that I am, we are the bride of Christ, right? And we are in a relationship with our heavenly father. As Dave mentioned, our it's going to be our spouse. And there's a relationship, and we enjoy intimacy and closeness in that relationship, right? The enemy is a foreigner, a stranger, an alien, and uses foreign things, strange things, to come and to try to pull us out of that relationship. Amen? So God said, I don't care if this is your thing or not. This has implications for your whole life. So I want us to read that in that context. For the lips of a forbidden woman or any stranger, foreigner, or alien drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path that she owe. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. See, the counsel that Solomon is given in these verses is directed toward men because it's Solomon writing to his son, but it could have been so easily applicable if he was giving the same words of counsel to his daughter and applicable to women. The direct message here is men be aware and stay away from any sexually tempting woman other than your wife. The indirect message is everyone, any sexual temptation other than your spouse leads to death and destruction. It might be that sympathetic guy at work that comes to you with smooth, flattering words. It could be that flirty woman at the gym or the images on your computer screen whatever form it takes it's trouble and you need to take intentional deliberate actions so that you avoid as much sexual temptation as is humanly possible it's costly but that's what you need to do if you want to avoid the consequences that come from failing in this area listen to these words what you Flirt with, you will fall for. What you flirt with, you will fall for. So stay away from the stranger's house. What's that mean? It means never meeting in private with another man or woman who is not your spouse. It means maybe there's some TV channels that you don't access when you're alone in your hotel room on a work trip. It means there's some search terms you don't intentionally type into your Google search bar. It means avoiding business parties and private lunches, especially when there's drinking involved. That could cause infidelity. It means that you avoid flirtatious conversations and you don't allow them to even begin. It means most of all that you make your spouse your top priority. I like how the message version translates these verses. And the message translation, it says, keep your distance. Stay out of her neighborhood. Don't drive your car in her neighborhood. If we ignore this advice, we, we, we waste our lives and end our lives full of regrets. I want to ask you another question. Is there any area of your life right now where you may be Too near the door. One step away from making a choice that will lead to destruction and pain. What are you doing right now to to put a distance between you and the stranger's house? It could be as small as canceling a magazine subscription. Limiting your time online. Always wearing your wedding ring. Avoiding front-hugging members of the opposite sex may not mean anything to you, but you don't know what it means to them. Verse 9, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. The third step in the process leading to a fatal attraction is fracture. Verse 10 says, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. How many have ever heard of popular country singer Toby Keith? Okay, some of you. He wrote this song, it's it's been a while now, but it's entitled, Who's That Man? And it talks about driving by the place where he used to to live and seeing his house, his kids, his wife, his dog, and his truck, and seeing that a stranger now possesses all of his stuff. His song asks, Who's That Man?, Running my life. If you have an affair, the likely result is that strangers will feast on your wealth. They will be running what used to be your life. And at the end of your life, you groan, verse 11 says, when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructor's. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And the fourth and last step in the process leading to a fatal attraction is failure. Pastor Glenn, a few years back, invited some men in the church to join him as he was asked to do a men's retreat for City Church on the east side. And we all carpooled and drove up to Green Lake Conference Center and we're a part of that um, men's retreat. I believe, Dave, you were there. And one of the activities in that, that retreat is Pastor Glenn said, you know, in times of strength, we should prepare ourselves for times of weakness. And that's always stuck with me. In times of strength, we should prepare ourselves for times of weakness. And he said, in this time of strength where you're surrounded by other brothers who love God, I want to invite you to write down... And make a list of what it would cost you if you fell for sexual temptation or sexual sin and committed an act of adultery. What would that cost you? And so he shared his list as he took it out of his wallet. He says, there's times when I'm, if I'm faced with sexual temptation or sexual sin, that I'll get out this list. And he took it out, and you could tell that it had been in his wallet, it was all folded up, and he read his list to us. And I want you to to listen to the list that I wrote at that retreat. I said, if I committed adultery, my relationship with God would suffer. I would suffer from enormous amount of guilt. Lisa, my wife, would suffer emotional scars of my sin more deeply than I could begin to describe. She would spend countless hours in counseling, her recovery would be long and painful. Our relationship would suffer a break in trust, fellowship, and intimacy. The reputation of my family would greatly suffer. My three children would be deeply disappointed with me. My, re- my friends would be disappointed and question my integrity. I would probably lose my credentials as a pastor. My witness, among others, would become worthless. I would suffer God's discipline. Satan would be thrilled at my failure. Satan would work overtime to be sure my shame never ended. My wife might divorce me. Some might conclude that all Christians are hypocrites because of my choice. My business could, f- could fail because I couldn't be trusted. My leadership among those I've led in the past might also be diminished by my impact, but be diminished in impact. My zeal for ministry would suffer and possibly result in others not continuing in their ministry. My health would suffer. I might have to start life all over again. This same sin might be visited upon my family for four generations. I believe that each one of us, male or female, should develop a list of all the consequences that we can think of that would result from us engaging in sexual immorality. And periodically read through that list so that in times of weakness, we say, no, the cost is way too much. So how do you prevent a fatal attraction from destroying you and your family? The Bible is very clear that as married couples... Um, We can enjoy that we were designed to enjoy the person God has given us. So number three, enjoy intimacy with the one whom God has given you. Verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful dole, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? See, I believe there are three protective walls that all of us need to build a Around our marriages. And the first wall is exclusive, exclusive, uh, exclusivity. Can somebody say it for me? Exclusivity. Verse 17 says, Let them be for yourself alone and not strangers with you. I like how David Jeremiah, pastor out in um, the West Coast, I believe it is, um, said a while ago, A host asked him, What makes a great lover? And his answer surprised everyone. He said, a great lover is someone who can satisfy one woman for all her life and be satisfied by one woman all his life. Not someone who goes from woman to woman. And I love what he says here. Any dog can do that. (laughs) The sexual union in marriage is an exclusive union. Your wife is your wife. Amen. You're the only one who gets to see her this way. You're the only one who gets to touch her this way. You're the only one who gets to be with her this way. And it's a sacred privilege. The second protective wall that we need to build around our marriage is enjoyment. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. This is where I think it's so important what we've heard through the Family Life Series and and what Pastor Glenn has brought in the last few weeks regarding marriage, is that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman and not a contract. I mean, that is so important to embrace. And I would say here, remember your wedding vows that you made to one another. When I stood before Lisa, I said, I, Lance, take you, Lisa, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge myself to you. This is an exclusive union. God has given you and I teach other for enjoyment. And thirdly, the third protective wall is indulgence. And this is where the PG-13 comes in. It says, let her breast. I stopped right there. Is this like a clinical term? Is it written in like a clinical sense? And it's like, no. No. This is purely meant to be sensual. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated. What's that mean? In the act of um, a sexual union together with your spouse, there's oxytocin that's um, released. It's called the love hormone, dopamine, endorphins, all these love hormones together in this lovemaking between a husband and a wife. So it's saying be intoxicated always in her love. Let her, in other words, let her love making fill you at all times. Be intoxicated always in her love. All the time. Amen? That's all I'll say about that. With these three walls in place, exclusivity, enjoyment, and indulgence, there should be no reason to fall for sexual temptation or fall into sexual sin. Verse 20 says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress?" Imagine this, if you were to walk into a restaurant on a hot day, you know, you know, some of those days where it's just like 90 degrees outside and it's a terrible humidity and, and there's like sweat droplets on your forehead and, and your face is all red and you're just like, I can't wait to sit down and, and order my favorite beverage of choice, an ice cream. Cold, tall. You know, I've had people come into the cafe and they're like, what size is your large? I'm like, and they said, just give me whatever the biggest is. You know, they're so thirsty. You know, imagine them coming in and and sitting down and the server coming up and pouring them a, a big, you know, big, biggest size iced beverage for them and saying, hey, drink up, and, and um, there's more where that came from, you know, there's free refills, and, and imagine that person who's all thirsty and, and face is red and there's sweat droplets on his head, just kind of like pushing that insi- aside and instead reaching over onto the next table, you know, where, where the glass is like only a quarter full and has, you know, that backwash in it and crumbs floating in the top and saying, no thanks, I, I, I don't want the ice cold one that you just made for me. You know, just for me, I'd rather have my neighbor um, tables over here. I'd rather have his. Isn't that what we do? That's what adultery looks like, pushing aside what God has made just for you to have backwash. Solomon said, "What happens when you do that? It's bitter as wormwood. And Aggie, I was surprised. We were at a prayer meeting, and we were reading through Proverbs chapter 5, I think it was a while back, and you said, and Wormwood is pretty bitter. Pierces like a double-edged sword. Man, the picture became so clear to me. Wow. The adulterer is just like the enemy. He's a flatterer. His words drip Honey. But there's a sting. But there's a sting. His words are smoother than oil. Come indulge in this. And it feels good for a while. Halloween's coming up in a couple weeks. How many would raise their hands and say, yeah, I'm guilty of binging on my child's haul? You know, those mini chocolate bars that come in, and you look at your child and you say things like, you know, You can't eat all that. You know, you need mom and dad to help you. Especially when you see the Reese's peanut butter cups. That's my kryptonite. And then those sweet tarts and Skittles, you know, that wrapped sugary goodness. You begin to indulge and binge on it. And at first it tastes awesome. It's sweet. But how many know that your stomach is kind of, your tummy feels kind of gross afterwards? See Satan comes and he he's like that stranger that offers candy to the kids, flatters. And then he gets you to flirt with danger saying, "Hey, see how close you can get to the cliff without falling off." Solomon is saying, "Don't go near her house. Don't go near her house." keep a path far from her house don't see how close you can get because what you flirt with you will fall for and before you know it you'll be inside the house if you're easily tempted away from your own source of sexual satisfaction it is likely that your three protective walls are crumbling so ask yourself are we maintaining our exclusive relationship are we enjoying each other are we satisfying each other Let me end by saying this, sexual sin is never done in private. Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. In this last part, let it just weigh on you. And he ponders all his past. Not only does he see these things that we do in the private, but he ponders them. Verse 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Sexual sin is not only bad, it's foolish. When a person chooses it, their options disappear, and soon they find themselves trapped in a prison of lies, secrets, guilt, shame, fear, and a lifetime filled with regret. I'm going to have Judah and the worship team come. I want to close with this verse over in Jeremiah. It's bringing it all together for all of us here this morning. As I mentioned this morning, the message is not just for us that are, are married, but for all of us who are in this relationship with the Lord. We see all throughout the Old Testament how God had to raise up prophets to keep calling his people back who are flirting with temptations and sin, serving other gods. Jeremiah, one of those prophets wrote in, verse, in chapter two, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me in the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What did Jesus call himself when he met with the woman at the well? Living water, right? We always think of him as the well that never runs dry. He's, if anyone's thirsty, let him come and drink. And Jeremiah is saying, "You have done these two evils: you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for yourselves." And broken cisterns at that, that can hold no water. When you had the well, you have the well that never runs dry. I'm your all in all. But you're over here chasing after and constructing broken cisterns. They won't satisfy And I don't see God as an angry God who's pointing his finger and saying, what are you doing? I'm going to cut you off. I see him as a broken. Say, I'm the living water. I poured you a nice tall glass of ice cold water. And you're pushing it aside for backwash. That I never meant for you. That I never meant for you. I hope that you heard the heart of the message this morning that Satan is a flatterer that tempts you to go near the door whether it's to destroy your marriage or whether it's to destroy you he's the thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy but Jesus said I come to give you life I'm the fountain I'm the life giver The overflowing fountain of life. We find that we are looking to other things for satisfaction and fulfillment in life. A subtle form of cistern construction is probably going on. We need to return to the fountain of living waters. Let's stand together and let's sing this song. As we started off this morning, now hearing the word, Let it have a different meaning to you today. How beautiful God sees you and how beautiful we need to see him. Oh team they're going to be at both sides of the auditorium this morning if as we were worshipping this morning you say man those protective walls some of them have some breaks in them been compromised in a few ways the first step to help in anything is to confess the first step to change is always confession to acknowledge that there is a problem and to get help and so I look up to these these guys are not only friends but I see him as counselors and I'm thankful to be a part of this church body this church family and they're there not to judge but to pray and to agree with you and to help you and just lead you to the source amen the living water friends don't don't push aside leave the fountain to go Playing contaminated puddles—it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It might feel good for a while, but the end is pain, regret, shame, guilt. Amen. So, as we close this morning, I would just invite you—if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you—just to confess and say, "Hey, I need to agree with you." The Bible says that there is healing in that um, when we confess our sins, our wrongdoings to one another. We do that in order to be healed. Amen. To acknowledge that we need change. So Father, we just thank you this morning. We, we dedicate, we reaffirm our covenant relationship with our spouses, our spouse. And we reaffirm our covenant relationship with you, Father. Lord, you're offering us a fountain of living water a well that never runs dry help us Lord to stop trying to construct cisterns with cracks that hold no water lead us back to the fountain this morning help us to re reaffirm Lord to come back and and just say Lord we're yours you're beautiful we're all gonna end, end up on that eternity shore where death is no more. Be able to look in your eyes and see our beautiful bridegroom. Thank you, Jesus, for that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Raise your hands for the benediction this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you supernatural peace. God bless you guys.